In 292 BCE, the Greek inhabitants of the island of Rhodes decided to honor their patron god Helios by constructing the tallest statue of the ancient world, the Colossus of Rhodes. In just 12 years, they completed the 108-foot-tall Colossus of Rhodes. It was an unparalleled masterpiece of engineering and artistic ingenuity. It depicted Helios in the nude, towering over the island. The sun god, in all likelihood, donned a magnificent golden crown and shielded his eyes against the sun that brilliantly reflected off the statue's bronze exterior. The Colossus stood in the road's famed harbor, welcoming many of the merchant ships that passed in and out of the island. It was magnificent enough to be named one of the seven wonders of the world, rightfully taking its place as one of the most important icons in history. But just a few short decades after its construction, the Colossus was no more. Today, not a trace of the original statue can be found anywhere in the world. Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Richard. Welcome to Gone, the show where we search for everything missing. Every other Monday, we examine mysterious disappearances and the theories they spawned. From the Amber Room to Michael Rockefeller, Picasso paintings to the Etruscan language, the Roanoke colony to the lost Russian cosmonauts. If it's gone, we're looking for it. You can find previous episodes, as well as ParCast's other podcasts, on your favorite podcast directory. Some of you have been asking how you can support Gone. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support us is to leave a five-star review wherever you listen. The Colossus of Rhodes was renowned for its size and grandeur. It was rightfully considered to be one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It towered gloriously above the island of Rhodes, triumphantly welcoming countless ships to the important Mediterranean port city. But just 50 years after its construction finished in 280 BCE, the Colossus was destroyed in a massive earthquake. The ruins of the statue lay at its feet for hundreds of years. Even this rubble was impressive, and tourists from all over the ancient world marveled at the grandiose body parts. But then, somewhere along the line, the wreckage of the Colossus of Rhodes disappeared. Tons of bronze and a giant white marble base vanished. Somehow, the pieces of a giant 108-foot-tall statue, large enough that a fully-grown human could not wrap their arms around the thumb, went missing without a trace. This leaves us with some very perplexing mysteries as to the fate of the famed Colossus. Why would the people of Rhodes abandon such an important symbol? The statue was an emblem of the Rhodians' hard-fought freedom. It took them 12 years and unprecedented resources to complete the behemoth. How could they be satisfied leaving it in ruin in the first place? What exactly was the Colossus? Where did the Rhodians place this beauty? What did it look like? And what exactly did visitors see as they pulled into the famed port? And of course, where did its remains go? To answer these questions, we must first understand the history of the Colossus and why the Rhodian citizens felt a need to build such a monstrous statue. Then we will consider how it was built, 
how much material was needed and where it might have stood on the island. Finally, we will look into its construction and consider three theories as to where the wreckage of the statue might have gone. Our first theory claims that the Colossus was actually rebuilt after the 226 earthquake, only to be decapitated, yes, decapitated, by a mad Roman emperor. Centuries later, a second equally devastating earthquake completely devastated the restored statue. Our second theory is that the Colossus was destroyed by the Christian Byzantines, who were unwilling to leave any remnant of a statue dedicated to a pagan god behind. Our third theory is that in the 7th century, the invading Umayyad Caliphate took the remains of the statue and either sold the remains of the Colossus off as scrap metal or tossed it into the ocean in the 7th century. In order to understand each of these theories, we must first go back to the beginning, when an island was on the brink of losing its sovereignty. Rhodes was one of the most valuable merchant ports in the ancient world. Whoever controlled the island of Rhodes controlled passage into and out of the Aegean Sea. During Greece's classical era, it was a hotbed of military activity. Its strategic location was a key target for burgeoning civilizations. Specifically, the Persian Empire and the Greek city-states repeatedly clashed over ownership of the island. Beginning in the 5th century BCE, control of the port bounced between the two empires, with the Athenians initially controlling the island before the Persians eventually claimed it as their own in 340 BCE. Their reign was brief, as the Persian Empire was soon defeated by King Alexander the Great of Macedonia, who regained Rhodes in 332 BCE. However, even this rule was short-lived. Alexander died in 323, and his empire fell apart. Rhodes had only known war and conquest for centuries, and thus the island eagerly broke away from the remnants of the Macedonian Empire to become an independent, neutral entity. The island's leaders developed close ties to Ptolemy I, the ruler of Egypt, but endeavored to maintain their overall neutrality. This neutrality became a problem in 306 BCE, when Macedonian prince Demetrius Poliorcetus went to war against Ptolemy and Egypt's naval fleet. Demetrius feared that Rhodes, which possessed a powerful navy, might join forces with the Egyptians and he didn't want control of the Aegean Sea to fall into Egyptian hands. So in 305 BCE, Demetrius brought a fleet of approximately 1,350 naval and privateer ships to Rhodes and made way for the island's harbor. Once again, the country was under fire. However, Rhodes was uniquely fortified around its main harbor and designed to withstand such an assault. Despite his massive fleet, Demetrius was unable to effectively take the harbor, so he focused on conquering the capital. To do so, the Macedonian army created a new type of siege engine to assault the city. Siege engines are essentially enormous structures designed to pulverize and bring down even the thickest of fortified walls. According to historical accounts, the engine Demetrius invented was an enormous movable structure called helepolis, or taker of cities in Greek. It weighed an enormous amount and rolled right up to the top of city walls so soldiers could pour into the city in droves. 
But when the Macedonian troops finally breached the walls of the capital, they found the war-hardened citizens of Rhodes laying in wait. Every single one of the Macedonian soldiers who made it into the capital was slaughtered. Demetrius called off the assault, and the two sides went into a standstill. A standstill, however, favored the Greeks. They could block trade from entering roads and effectively cut them off from a reliable supply of food and goods. The island was desperate and needed to cripple Demetrius's army and his siege engine quickly. So the Rhodians knocked a small hole in the city wall and funneled water, sewage, and mud onto the land outside. The sewage and wet, sticky mud transformed the land around the walls into a swamp. Demetrius's weighty siege tower was soon mired in the muddy earth. His troops were unable to extricate it and had no way to breach the city walls. After a long year of fighting, the general population was growing increasingly sympathetic to Rhodes, and the prince was forced to give up. The Macedonian army retreated in 304 BCE, and the Rhodian citizens maintained their sovereignty. It was an incredible triumph for the relatively small country, and its people rejoiced. Such an important victory required not just a celebration, but a symbol of their freedom. A monument greater than any other created before it, dedicated to the most revered god in ancient Rhodes. The sun god, Helios. The plan was incredibly ambitious, if not ludicrous to build the greatest statue the world had ever seen standing watch over the city's famed harbor. A reminder to its citizens of the island's glorious victory. A warning to foreigners of the folly of laying siege to Rhodes. Fortunately for Rhodes, the funds for the sure-to-be-expensive undertaking were left at their doorstep. The spoils of war gave them an abundance of wealth and resources, as Demetrius had abandoned the siege engines he used to attack the city. The Rhodians willingly sold off the equipment and used the money to purchase roughly 12 and a half tons of bronze and approximately seven tons of iron to use as the statue's frame. The material they bought was vast enough that it put a strain on the entire metal market in the Mediterranean. Tasked with the construction was Hares of Lindos, an experienced sculptor and architect in 292 BCE. Hares had trained under Lysippus, one of the three greatest sculptors of classical Greece, and he was eager to build a statue even taller than his mentor's 72-foot statue of Zeus. Hares decided the statue would depict the sun god Helios standing over the island he'd protected and looking out towards the harbor and the rising sun. Rhodes officials had to scrape together almost 300 talents out of the island's coffers, or about $95,000 for his services. It was a staggering amount of money, but they were willing to pay it in order to see their tribute to Helios completed. According to legend, Hare's newfound affluence was soon met with misfortune. Some say the sculptor noticed a fatal flaw in the Colossus when it was near its completion. Others claim he vastly underestimated the construction cost of such a monster. But all accounts of the legend concur that Hares killed himself before the Colossus was complete. Another unknown sculptor took over the project, and 12 years after work began on the Colossus, it was completed in 280 BCE. The citizens of Rhodes were the proud owners of the tallest statue in the world, a monument whose legend would span thousands of years. 
Its memory continues to be a symbol of freedom in the 21st century. But its reign over the skyline of Rhodes would be, in comparison, incredibly short-lived. Just five decades after completing the Colossus of Rhodes, it came crumbling down in spectacular fashion. We'll find out what happened to the Colossus of Rhodes after this quick break. And now, back to the story. In 280 BCE, the free nation of Rhodes completed a monumental statue that came to be known as the Colossus of Rhodes. The 108-foot behemoth was the tallest statue of the ancient world, and its impressive stature made the Colossus an instant sensation. Because there's nothing left of the Colossus today, we don't know exactly how it was constructed, what it looked like when it was completed, or where it was located on the island. But we have some theories. Philo of Byzantium believed that the statue was constructed feet first. The enormous feet of Helios were made out of white marble, then cast in bronze. With the feet firmly in place, workers built the iron framework for the rest of the statue, bronzing each section of the Colossus individually. However, Dr. Kenneth Lapatin, curator of antiquities at the Getty Museum, and German scholar Ursula Vetter disagree with Philo's theory. They believe the statue was made like other smaller Greek statues of that era. Each section of the statue, the arms, legs, head, etc., was completed separately, and then the different pieces were all joined together. This was the construction method used thousands of years later to create the Statue of Liberty, which was inspired by the Rhodes Colossus. Regardless of how it was constructed, the Colossus of Rhodes must have been a sight to behold once it was completed, its bronzed exterior shining like a beacon in the sunlight. Unfortunately, we don't even know for sure what the Colossus looked like. We know it was a statue of Helios, the sun god standing over Rhodes, but we don't know for certain what he held in his hands, how his feet were positioned, or even which direction he faced. A few descriptions of the Colossus have survived in fiction and legend. However, none of these descriptions were written while the statue was still standing, so we have to take them all with a grain of salt. Our best guess comes from a discovery in the 1930s when historians found a small model of the Colossus dated to approximately 200 BCE. The miniature depicts Helios wearing a crown of rays. He stands tall, one hand shielding his eyes as he gazes over the horizon. Drapery hangs from his arm all the way down to the ground. If the miniature depiction of Helios is accurate, the drapery likely served as a third leg, giving the statue a tripod base. This would have made the statue more stable and less likely to topple. But the biggest debate about the Colossus is not over its appearance, but its location. The most common legend depicts Helios straddling the harbor, one foot on each side of the port. This is a fun and iconic picture of the wonder, as the great statue would be poised as a gateway, welcoming all ships into Rhodes. But if the Colossus had one foot on each side of the harbor and was only 108 feet high, large ships from that era, like the 80-foot-tall Tessera Conteras, would have crashed into Helios when they tried to pass underneath. Today, most scholars and historians believe that the Colossus of Rhodes must have stood with his feet together, 
towering over the harbor. However, a more radical line of thinking has recently emerged that suggests the statue was not even in the harbor at all. Instead, they suspect the statue guarded over roads from a nearby islet. This theory is supported by the fact that a large stone base was recently discovered on an islet just off the coast of Rhodes. It was found within the ruins of the 15th century Fort St. Nicholas, built by a medieval Christian order known as the Knights Hospitaller. The discovery led many to speculate that the base was in fact the original marble footing on which the Colossus stood. Some believed that the Christian knights found the large marble base of the Colossus to be a convenient building site, so they constructed their fort right on top of the Colossus' remains. But scholars Herbert Marion and Ursula Vetter disagree with this theory. There are several factors that make it unlikely that the statue was built on the islet. First of all, the islet was 600 feet away from the shoreline, would have to have been transported off-roads by boat to the islet. That's a lot of unnecessary labor and cost. Secondly, the islet is only 200 feet in diameter. It's a very small location for such an enormous statue. Another possibility is that the Colossus wasn't constructed on Rhodes Harbor or the islet. Instead, it was placed somewhere inland on Rhodes, towards the center of the island near the sanctuary to Helios. This would allow the people of Rhodes to easily see the statue from every angle, and it would make sense for the statue of Helios to be near Helios' sanctuary. Unfortunately, there's nothing left of the statue, so we'll never know for sure where it stood. We do know that for 56 years, from 280 BCE to 226 BCE, the Colossus was admired by the merchants and travelers who visited Rhodes as the tallest and most magnificent statue in the world. Then, disaster struck the small island. In 226 BCE, the Colossus was toppled in a devastating earthquake. The earthquake also destroyed large swaths of Rhodes' capital city, Commercial buildings crumbled to the ground, and most of the harbor was destroyed. The devastation that swept across the city was seen most clearly in the skyline that had changed overnight. The Colossus, shining proof of the gods' favor, was no more. Only its feet still remained intact, still standing atop the marble plinth. The rest of the statue lay broken on the ground, a stark symbol of everything the Rhodians had lost. Historians used to believe that the statue fell to the ground in one piece. But modern scientists have determined that the Colossus most likely fell into many pieces during the earthquake. First the arms, its weakest point, then the rest of the body. Thus was the fate of the tallest statue of the ancient world. It was built and stood briefly as a symbol of freedom, then came crashing down in a single devastating tragedy. But the most important question about the Colossus remains unanswered. What happened to the remains of the statue after it was destroyed in the earthquake? How did every trace of the statue disappear within a few hundred years of its destruction? Our first theory considers whether the Colossus was rebuilt. 
on the surface, it seems unlikely that Rhodes would leave such an important monument lying in a heap of rubble. Especially as they had all the materials needed to recreate the Colossus readily at their disposal. And if it was rebuilt, could a second equally devastating earthquake have completely decimated the statue? According to legend, the Rhodian's longtime ally, Ptolemy III of Egypt, offered to pay for the statue's restoration after it toppled in 226 BCE. This would have been a very generous offer, especially considering the cost of rebuilding the world's tallest statue. But strangely enough, the Rhodians supposedly turned down Ptolemy's offer. Rhodes officials consulted with the Oracle of Delphi, which discouraged the statue's renovation. She warned the officials that it was against the will of the gods to rebuild the statue. The citizens of Rhodes began to wonder if the earthquake was actually sent by the gods, or even Helios himself, to topple the Colossus. If that were the case, then rebuilding the Colossus would be defying the will of the gods. And who knew what they might do in their wrath? So if this legend is to be believed, the citizens of Rhodes actually didn't rebuild the Colossus after all. Instead, they let the ruins of the statue lay where they fell. People still came from miles around to stare in amazement at the colossal wreckage. Pliny the Elder, a Roman author, described the ruins in his books on natural history that he began writing in 77 CE. Quote, Even as it lies, it excites our wonder and admiration. Few men can clasp the thumb in their arms, and its fingers are larger than most statues. End quote. So according to Pliny's account in the first century CE, the statue was never rebuilt. But historian Lawrence Conrad disagrees with this legend. He believes the Colossus was, in fact, rebuilt after its initial destruction. It's possible that the Rhodians decided not to rebuild the statue initially in fear of the gods' displeasure. But then, for some unknown reasons, they changed their minds. There were a couple of factors that could have persuaded Rhodes officials to rebuild the statue. One is that Rhodes became a political power after the earthquake in 226 BCE. Foreign money from Greece and other powers poured into Rhodes' coffers as they had vested interests in keeping such a vital trading port afloat. The city was therefore rebuilt fairly quickly, and soon thereafter likely had the time, money, and influence necessary to rebuild the Colossus. Rhodes also gained an influx of fresh young minds and artists during the restoration of the city. Perhaps new architects came to Rhodes, eager to make their mark by rebuilding the famous Colossus. As Rhodes' power increased and the city's future looked brighter, it's possible that city officials decided that the gods weren't angry at them after all. Maybe the oracle had misinterpreted the signs. Or maybe they couldn't bear to let the Colossus, the biggest, most famous indicator of their grandeur, languish in pieces on the ground while the city around it flourished. So there is a possibility that the citizens of Rhodes rebuilt the Colossus during this period of strength and independence after the 226 earthquake. But sadly, Rhodes' independence and political authority didn't last for long. Rhodes soon found itself once again the target of powerful nations looking to control its strategic harbor. During the Second Macedonian War from 200 to 197 BCE, 
Rhodes allied itself with Rome in an effort to stop the forces of Philip V of Macedon. The alliance was a success, and Philip V was defeated. Rome, despite its tendency to conquer other nations, initially allowed Rhodes to maintain its independence. That is, until 20 years later, during the Third Macedonian War that began in 178 BCE between the Romans and the Macedonians. When the Rhodians declared their neutrality in the conflict, the Roman government grew angry. The Romans forced Rhodes to end its neutrality and become an ally of Rome in 164 BCE. For all intents and purposes, it was a subsidiary of the Roman Empire. But even though Rhodes had lost its independence just over a hundred years after the Colossus' destruction, the riches of the Roman Empire now poured into the island. It was during this period of Roman ascendance that the Colossus may have actually been rebuilt for the first time. According to Eusebius, a third-century bishop and Christian historian, the Colossus was repaired during the reign of the Roman Emperor Vespasian, circa 69 to 79 CE. It's important to note that this account conflicts with Roman author Pliny the Elder, who was writing his natural history in 77 CE and described the Colossus as nothing more than ruins. However, 6th century Byzantine historian John Malalis claimed the Colossus was actually restored a few decades after Pliny's death in 79 CE, stating it was rebuilt around 120 CE during the reign of Roman Emperor Hadrian. Malalus wrote that the Colossus, quote, lay on the ground of 312 years, but no part of it was lost. To re-erect it and put it in its place, Hadrian spent three centenaria on machinery, ropes, and workmen, according to his inscription recording the time and the expense involved, end quote. Supposedly, the rebuilt statue of Helios was still standing 60 years later during the reign of Roman Emperor Commodus, who came to power after his father's death in 180 CE. Commodus was a paranoid and mentally unbalanced emperor who created a cult of personality around himself— by 190 CE, he began insisting that he was not only a god, but Hercules reborn. Commodus wanted to be worshipped as a deity, and he couldn't stand the idea that the tallest statue in the world was dedicated to Helios. He wanted it to be dedicated to him. According to legend, Commodus knocked off the head of the Colossus and replaced it with his own. But if the Colossus was still standing during the reign of Commodus, that leaves us with an even bigger mystery. Why is there no trace of the statue left today? We'll continue our search for the Colossus of Rhodes in a few moments. And now, back to the story. The ancient world's tallest statue, the 108-foot Colossus of Rhodes, was toppled in the 226 BCE earthquake. Many contend that the remains of the statue simply laid at its base for hundreds of years. However, a collection of historians believe that the Colossus was rebuilt during the reign of Emperor Hadrian around 120 CE. Around 60 years later, the mad Roman Emperor Commodus supposedly defaced the statue. It was originally a statue of the Greek god Helios, but Commodus destroyed Helios's head and replaced it with an enormous head fashioned to look like his own. 
But even if the statue was restored in the second century CE, it couldn't have stayed standing for long. Sixth century chronicler John Malalis contends that a second earthquake completely eviscerated the statue. Perhaps the second earthquake pulverized what was left of the Colossus, shattering it into pieces so small that there was nothing left worth preserving. The high level of tectonic activity in the ancient Mediterranean assured that the island was constantly under siege from natural disasters. An earthquake could have easily been strong enough to permanently damage the rebuilt statue. Or perhaps a tsunami from an earthquake offshore swept the remains out to sea. However, if this is the case, it's surprising there are no historical accounts of a second toppling of the Colossus. It's tempting to chalk this up to the minimal amount of first-hand history of the ancient world, but that leaves us steeped in a deep pool of speculation. Agreed. I think it's unlikely that a second earthquake or any other natural disaster is the reason the Colossus disappeared, especially due to the glaring lack of evidence. It seems like an even bigger stretch that the Colossus was ever rebuilt at all, as many of the famous Roman historians never mentioned seeing the statue reimagined in all its glory. Therefore, we must assume that when the statue fell the first time, it stayed down and was never put back together. Even so, after laying on the ground untouched for centuries, the massive remains had to disappear somehow. Our second theory is that the newly Christianized citizens of Rhodes destroyed the statue's remains themselves. And to understand why, we have to look at the history of the Roman and Byzantine empires. The Christian Byzantine Empire took control of Rhodes in 395, altering a system of worship that had endured for hundreds of years. After the Roman and Byzantine emperors converted to Christianity, pagans were subject to significant persecution. By the late 4th century, citizens were no longer allowed to worship Greek or Roman gods. In order to escape mistreatment and prove their loyalty to Christianity, people began to demolish pagan relics that had stood for centuries. Temples devoted to the Roman and Greek pantheon were destroyed all across the empire in Egypt, Alexandria, Carthage, and Delphi. By the early 5th century, Byzantine Emperor Honorius took control of the remaining temples and banned all sacred pagan rituals and artifacts. Perhaps the Colossus of Rhodes was a victim of this pagan persecution, and the statue was destroyed alongside other sacred artifacts, like the gold statue of Victoria, goddess of victory, which was once housed in the Roman Senate. So it seems the Christian Byzantines certainly had a potential motive to destroy the Colossus and remove all trace of its existence in the 5th or 6th century CE. Due to its immense size, the Byzantines would have melted down the statue for bronze, harvesting as much of the valuable material as they could. That would explain how they got rid of the statue's remnants and why we can find no trace of the Colossus today. Unfortunately, there's no definitive evidence to prove that the Byzantines were the ones who destroyed the Colossus. It merely fits within a pattern of destruction and would explain why the Colossus is scantily mentioned in the histories of the time period. Our third theory claims that the Colossus remains survived several centuries after the Christian purging of the 5th and 6th centuries. 
In 654, the Umayyad Caliphate, a powerful Arab empire, invaded Rhodes. The Arab commander, Mavia, sought to take control of the island. This invasion and subsequent occupation ultimately allowed the Umayyad Caliphate to destroy or cart off the statue's remains. According to Byzantine Emperor Constantine VII, Mavia tore down what remained of the Colossus, which amounted to the two giant feet that still stood atop the marble plinth. The emperor wrote, quote, The Colossus of Bronze was a fine work and was reckoned one of the wonders of the world. They set about breaking it up in order to carry off the bronze. With great ropes, numerous men pulled on it, and suddenly it turned over and fell to earth. End quote. According to legend, Mavia's forces then broke the monument into a million little pieces and sent the statue to Syria. The bronze fragments of the Colossus were then sold to a merchant from Edessa who loaded the statue's remains onto 900 camels in order to cart it back to his homeland. Even if the caliphate really sold the statue's remains to a single merchant, it's unlikely that he used a herd of 900 camels to carry the Colossus away. Scientists today estimate that it would take no more than about 100 camels to cart away the bronze needed to build the Colossus. It's also hard to believe that a single merchant could afford to buy all of that bronze. According to Emperor Constantine, Mavia actually offered to sell the statue's remains to many different merchants in Syria. However, there's another theory that claims Mavia didn't sell off the Colossus at all. Instead, he may have destroyed it out of spite. According to 10th century Syrian historian Agapius, Mavia and his army made the island into a base and threw the remains of the Colossus into the Aegean Sea. But Agapius's story is contradicted by reputable accounts of the island's history. Rhodes was still an important military base for the Byzantine Empire long after Mavia's raid. This goes against Agapius's claim that Mavius stayed on Rhodes long enough to use it as Numayad base. Additionally, the statue was so enormous that the Arab forces would probably have dumped its remains just offshore in relatively shallow water. And if the remains were right offshore, they would be easy to find with today's technology. So how did the Colossus really disappear? Was it pulverized to rubble in a second earthquake, destroyed by the Byzantines, or dismantled by Mavia's army? Well, I think our second theory is the most likely. The newly Christianized Byzantines destroyed the Colossus entirely around the beginning of the 5th century. This would fall in line with the destruction of other pagan temples and monuments that took place across both the Roman and Byzantine empires during this era. But if the Byzantines destroyed the statue... Why did Christian historians blame the statue's removal on Mavia and the invading caliphate? The rise of Islam led many scholars to conclude that the biblical end of days was near. Christian chroniclers sometimes attributed false instances of destruction to Arab forces to justify their fear of the Arab armies. So Christian historians could have made up the story of Mavia tearing down the Colossus as a way of demonizing the enemy. It's certainly possible. There's no historical proof that Mavia destroyed the statue beyond these stories. It also makes sense that the Byzantines would be the ones to melt down the Colossus for scrap and repurpose the bronze in the war between the Caliphate and the Byzantine Empire. 
If that's the case, then the Colossus isn't really gone. It's just been redistributed. Whatever happened, after the last remains of the Colossus had disappeared, the people of Rhodes slowly forgot about the once magnificent statue of Helios. It faded into the stuff of legends, venerated in Renaissance writings and paintings that celebrated an idealized version of the Greek legends. Once it was more myth than fact, the truth of the Colossus was lost. Modern technology allows us to build architectural marvels even larger than the Colossus of Rhodes, such as the 682-foot-tall Spring Temple Buddha in Hunan, China, completed in 2008. Yet the image of the bronze sun god crowned in rays, with one foot on either side of the bay, persists. For centuries, the Colossus has maintained its grip on artists' imaginations. The Statue of Liberty, who watches over New York Harbor, was inspired by the Colossus of Rhodes. In fact, the poem inscribed on her base, imploring us to bring her your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, is titled The New Colossus. In 2015, we got some exciting news when we learned that Greek officials might finally rebuild the Colossus of Rhodes. The New Colossus would be almost 500 feet tall, nearly five times the size of the original, and cost about $283 million. However, modern Greece has long been plagued by economic insecurity, and launching an expensive project like rebuilding the Colossus would be a potentially disastrous undertaking for the government. Unsurprisingly, since the announcement, there have been no further details released. It seems that the Colossus of Rhodes project has been put on hold for the present. But perhaps one day, the new Colossus of Rhodes will be completed, and the Rhodians will once again see Helios towering over their harbor, watching the sun rise over the Aegean Sea. Thanks for tuning in to Gone. If you want to find more episodes or any of Parcast's other podcasts, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, CastBox, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast directory. Many of you have asked us how you can help the show. If you enjoy the show, the best way to do that is to leave a five-star review. You can also tell us your theories on Facebook and Instagram at Parcast, on Twitter at Parcast Network, or at Parcast.com. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Just because it's gone doesn't mean it can't be found. Gone was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the Parcast Network. It is produced by Max and Ron Cutler, sound designed by Kenny Hobbs, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro and Paul Mahler. Additional production assistance by Maggie Admire and Carly Madden. Gone is written by Colleen Bradley and stars Molly Brandenburg and Richard Rossner. <laughs>